God's got a plan and a purpose for us today, and it's good. Everybody say it out loud, and it's good. God's plan for us, I'll say that out loud, God's plan is good. Now, the enemy would love to get you focused on all the bad, right? Right? We have the good news of the gospel. You turn on the news, right? And it's all bad news. But the gospel is good news, isn't it? We have good news in him, don't we? Amen. I just want to get right into his word. Who's excited for what God's about to speak? I believe God has something for you today. And I'm, I'm here equally ready to receive it. I'm the vessel that's about to speak his word. But I'm actually expecting, and I've been praying this this morning, that the Lord would actually work in me. And I want him to speak to me live, right on the moment. I want to be uh, right here with you, uh, enjoying what God's about to say to us. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can turn with me. Otherwise, you can look to the screen. I want you to look with me. We said uh, last uh, week and the week before, uh, some things that I want to bring together today. And two weeks ago, uh, in the book of Joel, we looked at how there's darkness in the earth, but God's answer, and it was Pentecost Sunday, God's answer for darkness is light. God's answer for the confusion and the issues going on in the earth is the gospel. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it is the Holy Spirit. Amen. Who believes that? There is no other answer. At the time of confusion, at the time of chaos, the time of even worldly Roman occupation, the answer that God had was not a revolution in society, right? They could have done that. Don't you think God is powerful enough that he could have trained his disciples supernaturally for warfare? In fact, Jesus said, if I wanted to, I could have 10,000 angels right here, right now, to take me out of your grip. I could be freed from these chains and I wouldn't be crucified. But instead, God has a plan that you don't understand, and even Satan and his fallen kingdom didn't understand. That's what the Bible says, and it brought about a victory. We we're just praying that right now. It brought about everything that we know, everything that we have in Christ was from that one moment. You know, it was all building up to that moment, but really without that final moment of him going to the cross, uh, we wouldn't have what we have. Amen. And so the Lord is up to something. Everybody say he's up to something. God is doing something, and it's supernatural. It's in the spirit. God is doing things in the natural. There was a natural reaction, wasn't there? The, the entire society was changed. The warfare that actually uh, happened after the cross and after the Holy Spirit in Acts was one that the enemy couldn't seem to get a hold of, couldn't get ahead of. Isn't that true? The enemy, if there is a, uh, is, if it was a revolution, could mobilize the other side, could have mobilized the Romans, and even he could have mobilized, the enemy could have mobilized at that moment even the Jews because they were opposed to what Christ was now doing in these new Christians in the earth. And instead, what was happening is that Something supernatural by the Holy Spirit was happening from home to home and from heart to heart. They couldn't contain it because they really couldn't even identify what was happening except that it was happening to so many people. It was spreading like wildfire throughout the regions and they all they knew to do was, well, let's bring in the leaders that we think are the leaders. And they brought in Peter and they said, you know, you're not allowed to do this anymore. We're going to beat you if you do. You're going to be killed. And he says, I'm going to listen to the Lord and not you. And so we know uh, that the Lord does things differently than we think they should be done. Judas, we actually know from history uh, yes, there was a fulfillment of prophecy, 
And yes, God needed it. God needed the delusion, and he needed Judas to do what he was going to do to fulfill prophecy, but I refuse to believe that God inspired Judas or that he was born to do, to do that to Christ. Anybody here with me that you think that God, you know, had this guy, God created this guy, he was going to be born and grew up just like all of us with every right to believe what he wants to believe, and yet he was born and raised to 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 deny Christ, that's kind of awful of God to do to a human being. Um, so I believe that it was prophesied in it because God sees outside of time and it happened, but that Judas had the chance, just like we all do, to view Christ, to see what he was doing, and to make up uh, his mind. In fact, Paul says in... Uh, in some of his teachings, he talks multiple times about uh, really working with people and working with who they are. We know that as uh, we know that as a couple different principles in Christianity. But basically, uh, not everybody's called to go to the bar, right? And preach the gospel. But certain people, it says to become all things to save some. You know, all things for all people, right? To save some it means that. God has secret weapons. He has a way to get you into situations and in places that not all Christians should be, but God will use you in that situation, in that place, for an influence there. And uh, Paul also said, and I'm, I'm thinking of so many things at once, I'm trying to say, everybody follow me or am I talking too fast? I'll ask Dawn. She'll tell me, honestly. But he also said that uh, we basically, we love the person, we pray for them, but he says that there's a delusion on their mind, and so it, supernatural, yes, but also love from us, and the word of God, the gospel, breaks down barriers, and what he says, well, what I want to happen in them is that perhaps they will come to their senses. Who knows the verse? Right, perhaps loving the person and praying for them and standing for them and believing for the Holy Spirit to work in their life, they'll come to their senses, which means what? That means that without Christ, when we're not walking in Christ, we're not in obedience to him, we don't know him, we are actually, our senses are off, we are, we are thinking of things our own way. We're trying to figure stuff out in our own way. We're trying to do things in our own knowledge. So back to Judas, that's what Judas was doing. In fact, Judas thought Jesus was going to do something militarily. He was going to do something in a revolution. And so finally, you know, he just, the Bible says, actually tells us he would just reach his hand in the bag and steal the money. And finally, the alabaster jar, right? That's the straw that broke the camel's back. It's, it's broken. It's, it's a year's wages, and, and it's given to Jesus to anoint him for the cross. And, and Judas doesn't really care that it was done to Jesus. But it says in the scriptures that they said, why would you do that? That was a year's wages. That could have been given to the poor. But we don't even have to assume. The scriptures literally tell us that Judas would reach his hand in the bag and take of the money. So what he was thinking about is, I just lost my 10 or 20%. I've been able to sneak out of that bag of money uh, because it was wasted on Jesus. And so a delusion actually had happened. He had actually seen the same exact miracles, and he, his mind was deluded. And uh, in fact, if you do your history... Um, there was this uh, revolution, actually, that was kind of in the works. They were trying to get a revolution going. And so finally, Jesus, he's not that guy. That's not what he was here to do. And so they missed him. They missed him. Everybody say they missed him. Judas not only missed him, but, but betrays him because they didn't understand what Jesus was doing in that moment. Everybody say that out loud. They didn't understand what Jesus was doing in that moment. So their senses were, they were using their own senses. Who, who goes into situations sometimes and uses your senses? Anybody ever use your senses in a situation? Who's ever been wrong by those, right? 
I've joked about this many times, but don't ask Dawn to, to be the GPS because she will say, I feel like we should be going that way, which I always respond the same way. It doesn't matter how you feel because this is the way. But she says, but it doesn't feel right. I don't care how it feels to you. This is the way. So our senses, our feelings uh, can be opposite of what God is doing. Amen. And who's ever been there opposite of what God was doing? Who's ever been in a backslidden state or in a sin state? Who's actually ever been walking with the Lord? You thought you were walking with Jesus and everything was fine, and then the Lord kind of surprises you with something that he wants you to deal with. He wants you to start changing the way you think about certain things that you've always thought about. Who's ever had that happen? Where you used to talk a certain way, and now suddenly, it's suddenly just like within an instant, it's not okay to say those words anymore. Who's ever been there? And so the Lord, am I, am I okay? Am I saying a lot of things at once? I didn't intend to say so much at once. Are we okay? The Lord is doing something new in this hour. You know how I know that? You know how I know that factually? I just know it as a fact. Because, ready for this? Watch this. Okay. One second ago, I just said he's going to do something new. Time has already progressed. We're in a new second. It's a new moment. Do you guys realize that? That it's constantly that we're... You, you don't even see it, but do you know your body just grew? Your cells. you know how many cells died and grew within that second? Actually, this is kind of gross with all your mask off. Maybe you want to put your mask back on, but do you know how many dead skin cells you just shed? Everything in the earth, you know, everything is moving and changing and turning and growing, and it's always happening. God is always up to something new. I want you to say this out loud. God is not stuck. God is not religious. He's not stiff. He's not stuck. What happens is we come into Christianity and we're like, yes, Lord, thank you. You freed me from, it's not religion. It's a relationship. And then we get religious. We don't realize it. We don't think we're religious because we're dressed pretty casually here and right. The music's cool, quote unquote, right? So we're not religious, but you know, religion is really just doing uh, anything, anything more than once. That's literally the definition of religion at its base is taking a format and doing that format over and over again. Now, I want to be super clear, like right off the bat, I'm not saying that what we do is bad and that you guys have to come next week wearing a three-piece suit or that we need to change anything, but I just want us to get in our minds that that we as human beings, it's very, very easy for us to get stuck and get stiff. No, nobody's amending me anymore. In fact, I have a little list here. Actually, I said I want to get right into the, into the word, and I want to read this verse, and then I want to say some things. It says in Joel chapter 2, it says that the Lord, verse 19, he says, he says I'm going to send you grain and new wine and olive oil enough to satisfy your needs you will no longer be everybody say no longer be you know what no longer means that means something's going to change that means it was a certain way things are going to change and he says the promise is i'm going to send you new wine olive oil and grain and he says in verse 24 joel chapter 2 the threshing floors will again be piled high with grain, and the presses will overflow with new wine and olive oil. In fact, in verse 25, some of the most famous verses uh, that Christians quote is that the Lord says, I will give you back. This is in the NLT, so you might know it a little bit differently, but you know these verses, right? You might know it as like the canker worm and the different worms here. It's four different types of worms. 
And what they did is they ate and destroyed everything. But it says in verse 25, I will give you back what you lost. So there was a loss, and now there's going to be a, a change. He's going to give some things back. And he says it was the swarming and the hopping and the stripping and the cutting locusts. And they destroyed you. But he says, verse 26, once again, you will have all the food you want. So things are going to change. I'm, it, it was a lack but now you're going to have things that you didn't have before. And he says, and you will praise the Lord your God who does these miracles for you. Never again will my people be disgraced. It says in the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, verse 19, he says, for I am about to do something new. Everybody say something new. I said to you, I know the Lord's going to do something new because the Lord doesn't do anything old. There's literally nothing. You know what old is? I've said this before from the pulpit over the years. Equals dead. Old equals dead. There is no such thing in God's universe. Everything is you know, when they were trying to figure out how to go to the moon, even out there in outer space, they had to calculate moon dust. Now, I have no idea how much there actually was there or what was there is what they, you know, what they told us was actually there. That doesn't really matter. But there was actual math to figure out how much dust, right, accumulated on the moon to go and land there. Do you guys know that from history? When anything dies in this earth, it actually is part of God's incredible circle of life. It's part of creation of new. Everything and anything. Everything in the earth is actually growing, dying, and actually paving the way for new life. Everything. There is not one thing that is alive, if it's not living, right, if it's just uh, dead and, and, and inanimate, if there is such a thing, then that would be different. But everything on his planet, even the rocks, you know, even rocks are slowly uh, changed. You know, the oceans batter them and destroy them and uh, are pulling out even minerals and, uh, and creating the sand. I mean, that's, you know, the whole thing is actually a circle of God doing something new constantly. Amen. God is always doing something new. And you know what the devil wants us to do? He wants us to get stuck in the old. That's not God's way. God's way is not to get stuck in the old, but it is to be in the new. I want to be in the new, not because I really just, when I was trying to put this sermon into words, I really felt like I needed to say this. I don't want to prophesy today that God's going to do something singular new. And there's been many, many prophecies throughout the years that I think you've all heard them at some point in your life. God's going to do a new thing. And then we think there's like we're looking and waiting for what that new thing, like a thing, like something I'm going to notice, like a thing, you know, that he's going to do. And I'm going to know when it happens. But I don't really see anything else in creation like that. It's very, very much a process in God, isn't it? Almost everything in God is a process. And in fact, the new thing of Christ on the scene, it was so subtle that unless you had spiritual eyes to see and ears to hear, you missed it. Isn't that incredible? You realize Jesus was a new thing, and yet this is what only can be talked about in Christianity. We can't say these words in the world because then they think you, you just, you're wacky, crazy. You're probably thinking that about me anyway. But that God is old and new at the same time. Jesus is not a, a new created thing. Jesus was old, and yet he was new. He was already, he already existed. God's word is already his word. See, God's words for us, God's word for this church, God's word for your life was already established before time began, and yet it's new because you are walking out that circle like you were a baby and now you're an adult. Does that make sense? But who you are today was in you as a baby. 
You just didn't know it yet. You couldn't see it yet. In fact, even your children and their children, they're all inside you, as strange and as weird as that is. You just can't even understand it yet. So Jesus was prepared, and yet when the time came for him actually to walk the earth, as God had always said would happen, they missed it because they didn't understand because they were stuck in what they thought it should look like. They said things like, well, he's the, just the son of a carpenter. And he's from this town, right? Imagine, well, Wappingers, Poughkeepsie, Fishkill, I don't know. Move of God? I don't know. I just don't see that happening. Because it's because of the town? I mean, isn't it incredible that literally because of the town he was from, they're like, nothing good comes out of there. So it can't, Jesus can't be. And look at all of his followers. They're just fishermen. They're just a bunch of loudmouth, dirty Fishermen, I've said this before, probably just like fishermen today. They smelled like fish, and they talked pretty rough. <laughs> and these were Jesus' disciples that he chose by the leading of the Lord, by the Father and the Holy Spirit. And so when he says, I'm about to do something new, see, I've already begun, I believe that we shouldn't necessarily try to look and find it. And what I want to preach to us today, it's going to make sense, is that we need to be soft and pliable. And I'm going to make, bring that to life in a few moments. But we need to be soft and pliable for the Lord so that we don't miss. Because one of my favorite stories in the Bible is that the Pharisees and the Sadducees had their eyes physically open. You guys realize that they were, right? They had physical eyes that were open, and they looked at Jesus in the flesh right there. They debated him how many times? And then you've got blind Bartimaeus who could not see in the physical, could only hear the things happening around him. And he had to take their word for it that these miracles were actually happening. Do you realize his faith? Just because he heard them say, Jesus, he's, he's just listening, and he, oh, Jesus, oh, thank you for this, and thank you for that in my life, right? He's hearing the words that are spoken, those that did thank him. We read that others didn't thank him, right? Came back the next day, and we're like, just do something, do something more, but he had all that to filter through, too, and yet he says, Jesus, he calls out to Jesus, Jesus comes to him, amen, and so it wasn't physical eyes to see. It wasn't something that he necessarily took some time to calculate in his mind, but it went through the filter of his human mind and into a spiritual place where he believed God. And this is something that we can only get as Christians. I can't even preach to a non-Christian how to get this, but I can preach to you because you are believers that there's a spiritual place in you that you you get to a place where you believe God just because he's God, who's there right now. God doesn't even have to do miracles anymore. Like, you know, the young Christian or the non-saved is like, show me. Do, you know, I want to see it. I want you to show me. You're going to have to prove it to me, right? But then we get to the place in God where we believe him in a place where he doesn't even have to, even though he will and he does, he doesn't even have to prove himself anymore to me because I believe him in that place. I'm in that place. It's a spiritual place that we've entered. And what I really believe today is that the Lord wants his people, he wants his church in that place because I don't, I want to be careful and I don't want to prophesy a singular new thing that you're going to see in your lifetime, one great thing that you're going to look for and plan for, and that's it, like this amazing great revival that's going to come once, and that's it, we're going to be part of it. And then, you know, then it's going to be over and we'll write books about it. Instead, I believe what the Lord wants is us constantly to be looking for what he's doing today and what he's doing here. Jesus didn't build one church. Do you realize that? Anybody ever notice that Jesus never built a church? Was he opposed to the church? Of course not. But Jesus was moving with this people and moving with these people and moving here and moving there. Jesus, I hate to say it because it sounds like Flipping and new agey, go with the flow. But in essence, Jesus was moving with the flow of the Holy Spirit. 
In fact, there's an entire crowd that potentially needs Jesus, but all of a sudden you see Jesus, and you, you see it in so many of his stories where he just diverts from the whole crowd and talks to this one person who's going to have an encounter with him at that moment. Isn't that incredible? And what I truly believe today, what the Lord was speaking, and what I, what I believe he's speaking here today is that there's a place we need to get into where we're very, very soft, I pray it every Sunday before we start, but I believe the Lord wants us to get us there, is that we're very soft and we're very pliable to his bending and his moving. I want you to actually think about this for a moment. It's human nature to think we know. I've said this many times. When somebody's saying something to you that you've heard before, that you've done before, you say, I know, I know, I know. All right, who does that? I know that. Oh, I know that. There's a funny commercial on right now, and it's about child car seat safety. And so the people are like, did you know, blah, blah, blah? And they're like, yeah, I know that. Well, did you know this? Yeah, yeah, I knew that. And then finally, the punchline is, did you know this about child car seat safety? And then, you know, it goes silent. I didn't know that, which never happens, by the way. Everybody always says, no, no, I know that too. And then you go home and you Google it. Because nobody wants to think or say that they don't know something. And you know, in Christianity, I really, what, what can easily happen is that, and, and, and this happens to all of us, but we, we begin to know the word in such a way that we almost even read it differently. Who actually skims through chapters that you've read a million times, Right? You're like, I've read this before, so you just start skimming, because you're like, I've read this, and so I'll just, you know, I've got to put some Bible time in. I'm going to look for that truth that, nugget that he's got for me today, but um, I can read it fast because I've read it before. Who's ever done that? Anybody? And you know what can happen is actually, as Christians, just like the world, because the world does it too, but the devil wants to bring the worldliness back into the church, right? That's going to chase you your whole life to try to get you to be worldly again. And we think worldly is like going and doing these major sins. But worldly actually is very, very simple. It's, it can be very, very subtle. It can just be doing things our way. You know that doing things your way is actually the very base to every sin that exists? Because that's what Satan did. Satan was in pride. He's just like, well, why are you God? Why can't I do it the same as you? And what can happen is we can actually get everything figured out and think we've got it all figured out, and we can miss it all. In fact, I was thinking as I was putting this sermon together about these Revelation charts. Have you ever seen them? Anybody seen the, the book of Revelation charts? You can buy them and put them on your wall, and it tells you exactly what's going to happen moment by moment as the book of Revelation unfolds, seven years, three and a half years, the Antichrist, etc. I mean, we, there's not going to be any surprise, right? The day it happens, we're just going to watch it unfold, right? Who's ever seen that? Listen, every DVD and preacher that gets on TV or YouTube, that's what they all say. Like, you know, this one's wrong, but I've got it figured out. The Lord showed me, and here's exactly what's going to happen. The Antichrist is going to be Jewish. No, he's going to be Italian. No, he's going to be American. No, he's going to be probably a Muslim. Well, which is it? Because that's four different nationalities. Jesus surprised them because he didn't come in the way they expected. He didn't come and act or do the things that they thought he should. How many scholars today would swear that they know God's plan because they've studied God's word? In fact, Jesus said, you search the scriptures looking for me, but I'm standing right here in front of you. Now, was he saying that you shouldn't search the scriptures? Anybody think, anybody getting me wrong here? Is anybody starting to like get ready to leave because you're like, what is he talking about? Heresy. He obviously wasn't coming against them studying the scripture. Of course we should. But they were so stuck in their thinking of how they thought scripture was to be interpreted. Listen, this is why we have over 30,000 denominations in Christianity today. You heard that number right. Over 30,000 demonations, that's what I call it, demonations, demonations. Listen, we want to be divided on you want to sprinkle baptism, you want to get, you know, a full submersion, whatever. I mean, who cares at the end of the day? I'm not saying that those things can't be debated. 
But at the end of the day, we're going to set our eyes on Christ and his plan and purpose. But the enemy loves to divide. And the reason that you have those major divisions is because people get so stuck that they literally can't even work with this person in the same building anymore because you are interpreting a scripture slightly different than, than me. Do you realize that? That's what denominations are. Some denominations, you know what, are, have really gone far, far away because, you know, who has ever been uh, tried to be witnessed to by, by the mother God? Anybody ever been witnessed by them, right? They, come, they walk around the malls. Did you ever hear, you know about God the Father and God the Son, what about the mother? Because of two really abstract verses, one in the Old Testament and one in Revelation about her and she. And they've literally created, there's a, it's a multi-million person religion. It's mostly over in Asia, but they're here trying to proselytize, try to say that word, to grow their sect of Christianity, but no, it's no longer Christianity. So some denominations, you know, it should be divided because it's no longer even Christian. You guys are off somewhere else that's not even right. But, you know, so many of them are because most of them are not that. Most of them are that because we argue about the way that we think things should be interpreted and what happens is, and the way we think things should be done in a church, and what happens is it causes a, a schism, the Bible calls it, a divide, and actually people break away because they can't figure out how you could see the same scripture as them and, and think of it differently than them. This is real, guys. I know we're not broken apart like that, but that's what denominations throughout history have been formed from. Anybody get anything out of this today? I'm going somewhere, I promise. As we study the experiences that Jesus had with the religious, it was not just that they didn't understand or were confused, because we know that there was a delusion upon them for a season for putting Jesus on the cross, but if we really study, it was actually stubbornness and hard-heartedness. They were actually stuck in their religious ways and tradition. Now, without anybody getting offended, I want to prove to us that we're all stuck in this entire church. You ready for this? I promise every single person here, you're going to have to admit that you're stuck by the end of this paragraph. As 21st century Christians, we have traditions and methods that aren't necessarily bad, but nonetheless, our traditions are styles, and I'm going to prove it to you. For instance, who believes a church should meet on Sunday? Anybody want to go to church on Wednesday? Or would that just be weird? Oh, you guys are already smirking. You know, in the Bible, it doesn't say that church needed to meet on Sunday. Uh, who thinks that church should roughly be about an hour and a half? It's a nice, comfortable time. You know, the Bible never once says how long church should be. Oh, wow. Getting everybody to smirk now. Who thinks it should have exciting, dynamic, and heartfelt praise and worship? Ugh. That was a dagger to the heart. I'm being so mean. You know, the Bible doesn't actually say anything New Testament about a time frame of praise and worship. It just tells us to be constantly praising him and worshiping and singing songs and having melodies in our hearts. But it never actually says before someone speaks to actually have a time where everybody can come in the doors. This way it gives a chance for people to come in late. And then, then the guy can get up and speak. Wow. Who thinks that in order for a church to be a real church, a good church, it should have some child care, which is funny. We have some child care again. Thanks, COVID, for a year. Got some child care again. But who thinks that it's not really a church if it doesn't have the children in the other room having their own mini version of church? Our praise and worship, we got to make sure that it's exciting. And then we want to come into a time of worship, but it's a good idea to maybe end the last song on exciting again because we don't want it to be too heavy for the sermon. Listen, they, there's actual, there are literally groups that sit down 
TJ doesn't put all that thought into it. He says, okay, Lord, what do you want me to sing and play today? But do you know there are literally groups, I've heard it, they will sit down and they dissect on how the human reacts in situations and they will literally craft the sermon and the music and even smoke machines and lights. They're not necessarily bad things, but they're crafting it to actually get you to react in an emotional way. Do you know that? They want to get you and kind of push you into a place where then you might be more receptive to the word. And you know, that, that those exact things, these exact things are the things in the 21st century that the Sadducees and the Pharisees would be stuck on. Now, they didn't turn. We have turned to Christ. We have the Holy Spirit. But actually, I've got the one that's going to really put you in your seat, pun intended. Because let me ask you a question. Who sits in the exact or roughly the exact seats every week? Now, wait, 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 wait. Here's going to be the clincher. Who would get mad if somebody took your seat that you didn't pay for? Essentially, we've paid for all of them, but you don't own that exact seat. We all own these seats together, but somebody took your quote-unquote seat, especially if the person who took it knows that that's your seat. Now tell me that we're not all stuck and all stiff and all stubborn. Isn't the Lord good? Isn't he kind and merciful? You know, when they would ask Jesus questions, and it seemed like he would just answer them with this side answer, like, where is that even coming from? Lord, what is that? It's because Jesus really wanted to deal with our hearts, and he doesn't really answer the question out of your mouth, but he's dealing with the intentions of the heart. I loved the Lord. I did that. Listen, I did it in a way, I hope, that was fun so that nobody here feels condemned, but to just prove to us that we all can get stuck and we can all get in traditions. We get into patterns with God, right? We get into our pattern. Here's the time frame that I spend with you each morning, and God forbid something were, you know, to happen, uh, you know, in my, at 7 a.m. when I have my prayer time, you know, I don't, I can't, I don't have any other time in the day to spend with him. I'll just do it tomorrow at 7 a.m. Oh. The Lord, though, is calling us into a place of softness and moldableness. In fact, it says, and I want you to look with me here, in the book of Luke, chapter 5, Verse 33, the book of Luke 5, 33, it says, One day some people said to Jesus, John the Baptist's disciples fast and they pray regularly, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. Why are your disciples always eating and drinking? <laughs> Wait a second. Church used to look like this, and this is the way we do it, Jesus. Jesus, maybe you're confused. This is, hold on, I'm going to just take you to the side, Jesus. Listen, it's best that we do three songs and not seven, because you don't want to wear the church out before the sermon. Okay. He said, Your disciples are always eating and drinking. And Jesus responded, you know, and this is what I was starting to prelude to. Jesus, when he responds, he's not even answering their question. He's going to start to deal with some hard things. And he says, you know what? He says, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. Because what they were missing was that Jesus, what this whole process of fasting and the process of praying 
is always getting us to, which is to get closer to Christ and to have Christ then do something in us or in the earth. And here's Christ literally as close as you could be doing everything in the earth. And so he says, Someday the groom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. Then he gave them this illustration. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and uses it to patch an old garment. For then the new garment would be ruined and the new patch wouldn't even match the old garment. And there's, a, there's many sermons on there too, but just for time, I want to finish here in verse 37. He says, and no one puts new wine. Everybody say, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. It says, for the new wine would burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine must, everybody say must. This is non-negotiable. This is not, you know, well, sometimes you can get away with it. And I'm going to just explain in a few minutes, or for a few minutes, of why it's impossible. New wine must be stored in new wine skins, period. Verse 39, but no one who has their theology unraveled in a way they didn't expect or surprises them says, that's fine. Because I'm always open for change. No one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. The old is just fine, they say. I think much of the time, in fact, you know, much of the surprise, we talked about this throughout this year, but you know, when COVID hit last year, uh, literally, Churches had to shut down, and so because the church shut down, Christians shut down. Now, we didn't, but you guys realize even to this day that even that another half of the church didn't come back because something happened that they couldn't understand or that shocked them or changed in such a way. It was so drastic a change because church meet, weekly meeting at a building in a church was so much a part of their faith that once we change that, then suddenly their faith itself was gone. Just like when Jesus came in to change things, they had faith in the system of how it works. This is what we do. We go to the temple and we do this and we read this way and we pray this way and we fast this way and this is how we do it. And Lord, you're never allowed to change it. I like what you've done with religion, and this is how it's going to stay forever and ever. And I just don't see the Lord doing that, especially when we have the book of Revelation at the end of our Bible that is going to literally shock us in such a way that the Bible literally says that the elect, do you guys know who the elect is in the Bible? It's not a super Christian versus a, a minor Christian or like a better Christian versus a lower Christian. But the elect are the real believers. There are people that say they believe and don't really believe, right? Everybody gives glory to God on the touchdown, but they don't all believe in God. Does that make sense? But the real believers, the elect, the Bible says that the great deception, the apostasy, things will happen in the end times that are so great that even... The believers fall away. Even those that have their eyes set on the Lord fall away because they're so shocked, something so dramatic. Changes happen in, in the earth in such a dramatic way that literally people lose their faith. And I believe that the Lord is speaking to us today, just reminding us of this, that we must be new skins. Everybody say, I'm a new skin. Now, I read something interesting to encourage you. They didn't always, new skin didn't necessarily mean that they threw out an old skin and got a new skin, but it also meant that they took an old skin, they soaked it in water, and they 
then rubbed oil into it, this, just this process of restoration to get that old skin to be just like a new skin. And basically, because this is what happens, when they would throw the ingredients, see, they didn't like take wine and make it and then put it into a wineskin. They made the wine in the wineskin. So the, all the ingredients go into this skin, and then what happens is the fermentation process has so much pressure that it will stretch and push and pop until it has reached a brink. But a fresh, brand new skin, a soft, pliable leather can take the pressure. Everybody say you can take the pressure. We've just experienced a year of pressure that they say we'll never face again. I call bluff. I call it a lie because they told me I wouldn't face a recession twice in my life, which we've already had. So once in a lifetime event, don't worry. Shouldn't have had to go through it, but it did. But it, it stretched to such a point that finally the wine has hit a fermentation point. All the gases have expanded, and now the skin is formed to the wine. Which means once the wine is drunk from the skin, if you were to put new wine into that old skin, what would happen is, now we're talking natural, not spiritual, Natural wine doesn't know the difference. All it knows is, I've got to release gases, and I'm going to put out some pressure, and I'm going to expand in a way that you're not ready for because you're a little stuck and a little stiff, and you don't even mean to be because you're like, well, I've been used. I've been doing it. I didn't mean to get stuck and stiff, and the Lord's not condemning the old wineskin. He's just saying, listen, you, it's, you're going to have to adapt. You're going to have to get soft again. You're going to have to be refreshed. You can't just go and go and go and go because eventually we get dry, we get cracked, and what's going to happen is, is when that new wine comes, it's going to destroy you. And see, I believe the Lord wants to do new things in his church and in us. Who wants God to do something fresh and new in us? The skin is just as important as the wine because if i don't have the capability of handling what god wants to do in us then god will restrain it from me not because he doesn't want me to have his good things for my life but because he is protecting me but i want you to understand this the enemy is not so kind the enemy actually sees, listen, the world is ripe for a new thing. Do you realize that the world is on the brink of change? They're actually craving it. The world is actually looking for change. They want a great change. They don't even know what that is. The world doesn't even know what they want to be changed. But, right, you hear it everywhere you go. A new thing, a new era, a new time. We need change. We need governments to change. We need society to change. We need our thinking to change. I could say more about that, and I'm not going to, but the devil is actually going to try to bring a new thing into the earth, period. And what will happen is, I don't want to say it, some weird heresy thing, but it'll be like sour wine. It's going to have the same effect. It'll be like, uh, what's the vinegars and... They're all fermented things. Kombuchas ferment, all kinds of things ferment. It'll be something sour and bitter, but it will do the same thing. It will stretch and push you to your brink. So I'd rather be filled with his wine. But in order to be filled with his wine, to protect myself from the new things of this earth, right? Who knows what the new things are? Without listing them, is anybody aware of what some of the new things are that the world is trying to say is normal and okay? For 2021 and beyond. 70-something genders now. I don't even understand what that means. I just heard one the other day that apparently if you, if you want to be an animal, but it doesn't even have to be real, there's a gender for that. It's like called a falcon something. I was like, what? It's just beyond my thinking. So don't say that there's not new coming. And it's like a sour wine, but it will call, it'll put pressure on the Christians in such a way 
that if we're not filled with his wine, we're going to burst regardless from this sour wine. And the thing is that actually we don't actually have to try to work up wine and we don't need to try to be super spiritual and, and all these things. You know that all that the Lord needs is us to be soft and pliable. Just to be soft before him. That's it. The wine does all the work. Do you realize that? All the skin needs to do. All we need to do is just say, Lord, I might be a little dry. I just, you know what, Lord? We need to be washed again. I just need to be baptized by you again. You don't need to necessarily go get in a physical pool, Tony ends, and be baptized. Maybe you do. But it's just, Lord, I just want to be washed in your water again. I want to be refreshed. Maybe I'm dry and cracked, and I don't know it because I've been a good steward. I've been serving wine so diligently that I didn't even realize that I've become a little stiff in my ways. Don't touch my seat. But, Lord, I just want you to wash me and soften me again because I want your new wine. I want, Lord, what you have for me. I want, Lord, because I know it's, first of all, that it's your best, it's going to be best for me, and it will be best for this world. Amen. Um, I just want to pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, God, for your plan and your purpose in us and through us. I thank you, God, that we are, Lord, we are soft wineskins in your hands today. God, wash us with the water of your word and soften us with the oil of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the anointing upon us, Lord. We thank you that you are tender. Lord, we don't even have to do it. You will do it. We just have to be willing for you to work your hands into areas we don't want you to touch, things, Lord, that have become comfortable. I pray you work your hands. Work the oil into, Lord, the dry and the crack and the stiff, the stubborn, Lord God, so that we don't miss what you're doing Right now, Lord, there might be people in our lives that we're just too busy for because we're a little stuck in our ways, Lord, and we miss an opportunity, Lord, to minister. Lord, I don't know what it is, but there are things, Lord God, that, that you have for each and every person that the enemy would love for us to be stuck and miss, but I thank you, Jesus, that you're tender to us and you're kind and merciful to us. And you are working your oil into us. Even this morning, Lord, you are softening our hearts again, if we'll let you. And I thank you, Jesus, for the coming new wine, Lord. Another filling, Lord. Just a constant refilling. We're going to be used and then used again, Lord, by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.